You're tuned in to 99.3 FM, WBTV LP, Burlington. Hey folks, my name is Infinite, and for almost a decade, I've had the privilege of working as a community organizer on issues related to education equity. Many years ago, one of my favorite community organizers of all time, Bob Moses, warned that in our country, we've been running a sharecropper education, meaning that the education we usually wind up receiving in our public schools is largely predetermined and based on the family we're born into. And if we carry that forward into the information age, then we'll have serfs in our towns and cities, just like we had serfs in the Delta, Mississippi during the industrial era. This is the huge challenge facing our country, he said. This prophecy by Bob Moses is now upon us. Welcome to Back to Freedom School, a deeper dive into education equity in the state of Vermont where we'll be discussing issues like school funding, literacy, labor, community schools, and the various ways that white supremacy culture shows up as one of the root problems in our public education system. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the show. Can you uh, introduce yourself? Uh, no, uh, thank you for having me on the show, sir. My name is Aaron Haji. I've been living in Burlington for quite some time now. Went to the Burlington School District, graduated from UVM in 2019 in a Bachelor of Arts in Anthropology. I've been involved in uh, community work since high school. And yeah, that's a little bit about me. I'm working at Spectrum Youth and, for, uh, Youth and Family Services right now, so. Okay, well, let's back up a little bit. You said you went to the Burlington Schools? Yeah. What grades? I went ever since uh, third grade over uh, IAA, back when it used to be called H.O. Wheeler, mm. and then uh, up until high school. Okay. Wow. So, yeah, most of your education has been here in Burlington. Yeah. Do you remember, like, how you learned to read? Yeah, it was a little bit of a struggle in terms of being bilingual. You know, uh, I first came here. In 2003, still uh, still learning the English language, so learning to read was a struggle for sure. But um, I was able to connect with teachers. In terms of reading, you know, there's different ways of uh, uh, reading. So some people, they read books. Others, uh, they read like magazines, just things around me, uh, just picking up vocabulary and just talking with others too. Uh, are all the ways that uh, I had experience with uh, learning to read. So, um, and I picked up the English language pretty quickly growing up since uh, I was still young coming to the United States. So uh, usually at a young age, it's easier to pick up another language. And after that, reading just came to me naturally. So So you said you were bilingual? What, yeah. What, what languages... I would actually consider myself trilingual. Uh, I speak, I mean, I'm not fluent, but I do speak Somali and Mai Mai mm-hmm. English. Okay. So get it my way around Somali. Okay. And so is it is it true that Mai Mai is not a written language? Yeah, it's true that Mai Mai is not a written language. It's a spoken language. So do you think that made it even more like challenging for you as a reader like in in terms of trying to read um learn how to read do you think not having a a written language 
may um, bring some challenges to young people or families and trying to learn how to read English? I think uh, from my perspective, it was a little bit, uh, it, it didn't really phase me uh, as much growing up because um, English is its own world altogether. Mm. So knowing that my language wasn't a, a written language, most of the time it, it was spoken so um, through word of mouth and there wasn't really a need to really have materials written in in my mind since most people it was more of a dialogue so for me growing up it, it, it didn't really matter because it wasn't normalized you know having a written my my language so it didn't really face me as much learning the english language uh, while keeping that in the back of my mind i see thank you for that and I'm asking them questions about uh, literacy and comprehension because that was a, a, an issue that I've been following really closely for the past two years. And it crosses you know, all cultures and even, I would say, um, socioeconomic demographics in, in terms of uh, abilities to read and write. We are struggling as a state and as a country in our K through 12 system around literacy and young people being able to read proficiently. So, um, and there are particular groups that might struggle even more than others. In particular, young people that don't want have have someone at home who, who speaks English and they are like first generation in this country you know, trying to, you know, learn in the language and, you know, is one thing, you know, the, the spoken language, but then reading and writing, you know, is a whole uh, another level. And then you have folks who have been here for generations, families who uh, still uh, struggle with um, reading and writing. So I'm asking you that question because that's been uh, a really big issue uh, and it happens to be a, a constitutional right. Uh, for young people to to know how to read. So uh, that is something that mm-hmm. I think we need to um, get a little bit better at. Yeah, I definitely agree. And in terms of just like communication in general, you know, passing down knowledge and, and history in schools, uh, folks need to understand where uh, history comes from. And it all starts with literacy, you know, understanding that reading and writing and being uh, students catching up to their uh, other classmates who, who may be in a higher reading and uh, writing classes, you know, so we don't fail any students on that. And you went from coming here as a small child, beginning third grade, learning how to read and write English uh, to graduating, high school and then going on to the University of Vermont and completing that, right? You Did you graduate from UVM? Yeah, I graduated 2019. Congratulations, <laughs> because I've, I've been following you and I know you did that in a pretty, I think, reasonable amount of time. It took me about 10 years to get my bachelor's degree. So I was, uh, you know, really impressed to see you take that on. And then you went on to run for school board and win for school board to represent Ward 8. 
Why did you decide to run for school board? For me, education has been a huge part of my life for the simple fact that my parents brought me here to get uh, better opportunities and really give back to my family. So uh, education was one of the ways that I saw myself doing that. And I've always been uh, really interested uh, in topics of education and how we can move forward with it. And running for school board was a thought that came to me when I was in my senior year of college. Um, It wasn't an overnight thing, you know, so I've been thinking about it for a while, ways that I can get more involved in my community. And school board is a it's a great platform in terms of helping to put a voice in the education system where where I grew up in, you know. So I've witnessed some issues in the school, in the school system and uh, went through it myself as a first generation student. So I've lived the struggles that folks faced uh, in terms of being students of color and plus, you know, um, speaking different languages and those struggles um, and that how that affects uh, their education journey. So uh, my intention for running for school board was to really help to bring voice to that and, and figure out ways that I can shine light on those uh, experiences uh, and bring those voices to the table. So that was uh, like my overarching goal of uh, why I ran for school board. Um, and the whole campaign process was a, was an interesting one uh, itself. I got to learn a lot in terms of running for a political office and um, what that means in terms of organizing and bringing people together along the way. You know? So yeah, it, it was a unique experience. Uh, my term ends uh, in March, so I'm beginning to transition my way from school board. And so what what would you say some have been some of your biggest lessons from the this experience so far? Like what 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 are your uh, major takeaways from being a school board member? From my experience, uh, one of my biggest uh, lessons was that especially for uh, young adults who are thinking of running for political office and want to go on school board. I would just let them know uh, to go for it. Um, and uh, their voice is definitely needed uh, in terms of helping to bridge people together. One of the biggest lessons that I learned was around the budget and in terms of planning for the budget for the school district and what it takes to really move that budget along. And that we're never really told I mean, a lot of it is also, you know, confidential too, but like behind the scenes work about what it takes to uh, operate a school district, you know, and the decisions that needs to be made in terms of uh, operating the, the school district. So those are some of the takeaways that I've learned so far. So what would you say right now, some of the greatest challenges facing the school board in Burlington? For me, and I'm speaking for myself as an individual, some of the greatest challenges I would say is, um, again, uh, supporting ELL students and making sure that they're at grade levels that they're supposed to be in terms of uh, being on track for graduation. 
and also like the students attendance you know some students feeling like they don't want to go to school making sure that we're addressing those uh, especially with the pandemic now um, i see a lot of students that aren't really motivated to really continue their education so i would say that's one of the greatest challenges right now what the externalities of the pandemic has brought whether it's virtual learning or um, trying to uh, students debriefing from online learning, transitioning to in-person learning, what that looks like. Also with the high school too, you know, um, there's the talks about the transition to a new location and community involvement too. I think it's one of the greatest challenges right now, how to make sure that we're getting uh, voices from first generation and like, like parents of colors, voices of students of color. So um, just bringing them to the table uh, in the decision-making processes. That sounds about right. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about equity a lot in the past decade. Um, I myself work for uh, Voices for Vermont Children, which is a part of uh, one half of the Vermont Education Equity Project with uh, public assets. And what, what I've found in the past decade are a thousand different ways to, to think about equ equity, right? And, and people's definition of it and people oper operationalize uh, equity. Mm -hmm. What does equity, you know, educational equity look like to you? Uh, for me, yeah. Um, that's also something I've been thinking about for a while now, uh, what equity really means in terms of education. And to put it simply, making sure that everyone has equal access, meet, meeting people halfway so they're on their track to uh, graduating, you know, whatever services that they may need. And I will elaborate that by saying in the context of, of a, a post-secondary post uh, high school navigation, making sure that students have a plan for what they're gonna do after graduation. Uh, I think that plays along with equity and treating P, uh, students fairly in terms of like discipline too, you know? So um, getting rid of uh, out of school suspensions, finding ways to really involve students into the process and uh, bringing along models such as uh, restorative practices uh, and helping to really just touch the lives uh, and ta uh, tailor education to the, the lives of the students, not just in the school, but outside of the school too, you know? So making sure that parents are involved in the stu uh, student's education process. And um, so they know how they can support the students uh, at home too. Cause we know, as we were talking about earlier, some students they have uh, support at home, uh, a lot of resources, middle, like most of the middle class students, like they may have some tutors that they have access to. And there's students that uh, do not have those type of resources. So for me, uh, it's just like providing resources where it's needed uh, and making sure that students understand that uh, they have control of their education, you know, with the support of the, with the staff. So that to me is what equity uh, in the context of education means. Thank you for that. And, you know, I actually, I want to, 
I guess maybe be a get try and get a little more specific, right? You brought up uh, so, for example, you brought up family participation twice as you know something that we should be doing differently. What should be we be doing differently? How can we meet families part way or where they are? Yeah, I think, uh, and again, there's a lot of factors that play into why families uh, may not have the time or the resources to be involved with their children's uh, education process. And some of those reasons may be because of childcare, because of work and other underlying factors. But for me, again, it's just what I witnessed through the education system. Like schools can use resources. Uh, again, uh, I'm speaking in terms of like ELL uh, families, for example, continue to really advocate for multilingual liaisons um, in terms of communicating with those parents uh, as they're already doing. And I think just making sure that parents know that uh, they, they can reach out to a specific person in terms of their, their child's education and um, just being there for the process from when they step into the first day in the academics year to the last, their last time at the school, you know? So I think just being there for parents uh, is one of the most important things schools can be doing. Thank you for that, Adam. And so how do we know if we're, we're doing a good job at it? Like, how will we know? How will we know, like, you know what? We're, we're, we're really doing much better at engaging families and family involvement right now. And we can tell because of, this thing right here like what is that thing what what can we look at to say you know what we're doing all right yeah and thank you for bringing that up because uh, one of the things that i've been uh thinking about is also accountability and um having a process of uh, a process of data and like docu documentation you know making sure that we have a process for uh, a system uh in terms of looking at how many parents were reaching out to and like what services that they're asking for in terms of their child's education and are we meeting those services at the end of the year we can do some type of analysis or report to see uh, if like a, a measurement you know to see if we are really making the difference that we say that we're making and alongside data having stories of those parents you know uh, talk about their feedback to see uh, if they're feeling supported in the schools and yeah, making sure that we're holding each uh, stakeholder accountable and outlining what that really means, holding, holding each stakeholder accountable. If something's not working, then how do we restructure to make it effective, you know? So accountability and getting data, a system in place uh, as well as having live stories from, from parents of uh, how their experiences are going on their end. Uh, it's, I think, really critical. And so you're going into, this is, your, you're wrapping up your third year on, this, on the school board, right? And, and you're yes. trying to figure out what's next for you. What would you like to accomplish, you know, if, if you decide, you know, maybe I should take a break or do something different, or go another three years, whatever you decide to do, what, what would you like to 
sort of accomplish, you know, before moving on from your role in the school board? Yeah. Um, yeah. Whatever decision that comes to that I decide on uh, in my upcoming, during the end of my upcoming term, uh, I just want to be able to provide a sense of a community for folks, you know, uh, making sure that I continue to advocate to have community process through when it comes to decision making and what that looks like in terms of reaching out to folks. Because again, I'm speaking uh, as an individual for my, from my own experiences uh, as a board member and throughout our board meetings, uh, it's only been uh, white folks in, in the room. So, and that's a challenge and a concern for me because we're missing voices of folks who are marginalized in the school district that have limited resources. And oftentimes uh, I feel as though they're a second, second task, you know, to decision-making. So I wanna continue to advocate for that and really push forward in terms of bringing more diversity in the decision-making process. So that's one of my end goals. That's awesome. And, and is there anything that you can think of that you feel like could support you in being a school board member? Because from what I know, not having been a school board member before, but having friends and people I know really well who served on a school board is really tough, right? Mm. There's, there's a lot of work there. There's a lot of uh, reading and writing to be done. And this is unpaid, right? Mm-hmm. So do you think because to, to me that that signals a barrier to low income folks to people of color to the black community um people who've been here for generations who cannot necessarily afford to carve out 10 hours a week for public service on top of the day job in their family is there anything you think we can do like as a city or as a state to mitigate those barriers? I think uh, for starters, uh, this conversation did come up, uh, but uh, it wasn't uh, too deep into it. But one of the things that we can overcome those barriers is to pay for school board members, you know, uh, for their time on the board. So that will be more folks will be able to run. Um, But if we can figure out a way to really expand um, the recruitment process for BIPOC communities, um, young voices onto the board. It'll better. It'll be better in terms of the makeup and the body of the board, you know, because we need to reflect uh, the student body uh, in the Burlington School District, and we have a long way to go uh, in terms of that. I'm the only person of color on the board right now, and it's challenging at times. And I definitely want to see more diversity within the the body of the board. Final question, mm-hmm. is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to this year? Uh, for me, I'm looking forward to a lot of things, but uh, in particular, I'm completing a driver's education certification uh, to become a licensed driver's education teacher in May. So I'm really excited about that. That's awesome that we definitely need <laughs> uh, more instructors <laughs> on the road. That's great. Well, Adam, 
is there anything, uh, any questions for me? Any any last words you you want to say about education equity? What you hope to see, or um, you know, anything specific you would like for people to uh, think about or get involved in? Yeah, uh, I'll just conclude by saying uh, again, thank you for having me here. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to add on was that uh, youth voice is critical, you know, when it comes to uh, education equity. Any uh, conversation that we have about students and education, they should be brought to the table, you know, whichever way that we can, you know, because we're talking about students and their education, um, which is going to affect them. So uh, having student voice is one of the most critical things that we need to think about in terms of uh, education equity. Okay, so since you brought that up and and opened up Mm -hmm. that conversation, I have seen school districts pull in students who may be the kid, the popular kid, or, you know, the well-known kid, or a kid who is... Um, representative of the status quo. How do we know that the youth voice that we're hearing is at least close to being representative of the demographic that we're talking about? Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. And um, I would say other ways that we can uh, bring on youth that don't really get as much opportunities is to create opportunities for their friends as well. You know, those students, they might not want to go, they might not want to do something unless they have someone that they can do it with or support of another student that they feel comfortable with. For example, uh, if you have a first generation student, they're most likely going to want to be involved in a conversation if their friends are there too, you know, so they don't feel left out. And I think that's one of the things that separates uh, students that represent the status quo and students that are from marginalized backgrounds is uh, the connection with other students, you know. So again, with student voice, you know, uh, another important aspect is their involvement, you know, Uh, not just getting their voice, but also uh, involving them into the process, whatever that may look like, whether they get stipends, you know, for their time, and also community service hours. They could be doing homework or other extracurricular activities, but they're taking their time uh, to talk about a particular issue, figuring out ways they can bring on other students. So their time needs to be appreciated and uh, valued. Thank you so much for that, Adam. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, chat with me. I really appreciate you and your work and yeah, and your your friendship beyond education equity. You're someone who I really like truly respect. And I look forward to, you know, continuing to connect with you for as long as we're here together. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for being one of my mentors in my life. You know, uh, I respect you for that. All right. Uh, I will catch up with you later. Sounds good. Thanks again for joining us. If you have any questions, thoughts, or suggestions about anything you heard, please feel free to reach out. You can contact me at infinite at voicesforvtkids.org. You can also visit our website to learn more about our work 
at voicesforvtkids.org. Shout out to Mike Device with the Thomas Instrumentals and Athena with all the technical support.